Um, years ago, some of you probably don't know this, but uh, years ago, uh, about 35 years ago, um, well, it's probably even before that, I started uh, teaching uh, in a Christian school. And I taught for four years. And uh, the, the fourth and final year, uh, Dr. Everett started coming to, started sending his kids, they must have been in kindergarten, I'm thinking, uh, one of his kids or a couple kids, I don't remember now. But anyway, um, he came up to me and said, because uh, you know, we, he was my doctor. We were, we really, we we just clicked. We were like good buddies. He was a Christian brother, and uh, we were talking. And he said, "Hey, if you ever do any dissections, I would be glad to help you with that." So I said, "Cool. I mean, uh, that'd be way better than me teaching these kids." So uh, it came up in the in science that we were going to have a dissection. So uh, you know, we got out the worm and everything. We were going to cut out the worm. He came and helped us. He said, "Hey, next time." Let's get something bigger. A worm is just too small. We got to get something bigger. So guess what we did? Uh, the first one we did uh, was a cow's heart. So I brought in a cow's heart and uh, we did uh, dissections. Oh, he opened it up and we looked. We looked at the valves. We looked at the chambers. He showed me the. I think it was the cardiac artery that feeds the heart. And he said, "This is called the widow maker of this." If I'm, if I'm, if I think, it's, if I think it's the car, the cardiac artery. He said, "If this thing clogs." It's, it's called the widowmaker because seldom does somebody live with that. Uh, matter of fact, you could be in the emergency room with a with a full team right there, and if this this one clogs up, there's uh, nothing that we can do. You're going to die. Uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, what a the kids were spellbound by this. I mean, there was there was a heart, a cow's heart for each two students. Think of that. Think of you know. They, Giving these kids little these nice scalpels, you know what a great time they had. <laughs> so anyway, um, it was such a success. We decided, all right, we're going to do this again. And uh, so I went, you know, I went to the, you know, I was I was going getting this stuff. Never, I never got a cow's tongue. Just couldn't see any application for that. But this next one, uh, I went to the. Uh, to the butcher butcher's office. There was a slaughterhouse, really a small one, and uh, we went there. And I got I got cow eyes. And they were they were pretty good size, you know. I brought them in, and and Doctor Ever came in and he said, "I'm going to show you how um, when a person has cataracts. I'm going to show you how that's done." Oh, um, so well anyway. So anyway, he uh, he showed us. You know, he did the incision and he uh, forced the the lens out because the lens becomes coated with a white coating. And uh, they can't see, and they can't. They now maybe they can f- do something now with lasers. I don't think so, but but uh, uh, usually they take that out, or maybe all the time. I don't know. They take that out and they put in a glass or plastic one inside the eye. Then they sew it back up, and you know, of course, you have a little bit of pain for a little while, and before you know it, you know, you can see again. But you can only it's set for one thing. You can only see one distance. That's the problem. And I found out. That uh, one thing they do do is they sometimes they'll make one to see distance and one to see for reading purposes. That sounds horrible if you ask me, but uh, uh, that, I guess that's what they do sometimes. So anyway, um, you go and turn on. Well, hold on, hold on, not yet, not yet. And uh, unfortunately, I did not have a real eye. <laughs> it's a model. Okay. What you thought I'd really bring a, a cow body parts to church? You really. <laughs> You think I would do such a thing? <laughs> okay. Yes, I guess I have done that before. 
Um, we're going to be talking about the eye. Okay? The eye is a wonderful thing. And as awesome as the eye is, it can do nothing without the brain. You know, all these images, it goes to the brain, and the brain forms it out, forms it so that you can see based upon the information that goes inside the eye. And, the, and I just had a blast studying for this thing uh, because there's so many great applications. There's, I'm not going to teach the whole eye. That's not the purpose. I'm going to try to talk about some of the things that the eye does that's really amazing, okay? And you can go ahead and turn on uh, that now, okay? And I'm going to set this down because I think this will be a little better to teach with, I think. The front of the eye that you see, it's, it's a real tough, well, relatively tough. It's a, called the cornea, and it's a protection for the eye. That's also what it does. But behind the cornea is, a, is the pupil, and it's a, basically a, an opening that allows light to go in, okay? And around this thing is the iris. When you see colored people that have colored eyes, it's the iris. And it can actually shrink if it's in bright light or constrict. So it controls a small amount of light that comes in. But if you're in dark, dark conditions, it opens really wide so you'll have a better chance for night vision. And uh, another thing that's really cool about it, we were talking a little bit about the lens, how the lens has changed. This is just amazing to me, okay? This thing has little muscles up here. You can see the names. I don't want to get into the names. It also has, uh, you know, little ligaments attached to it, and it changes the shape of this thing. I think that's just so amazing. Am I, do I need to come over here? All right. There's the cornea. There's the, uh, the iris is here. Here's the lens right here. Muscles, ligaments, okay? So it allows light to go in, and it focuses this light. And it's very important, this, this focusing part. They, fo uh, they want it, when you, when you are really want to see something very clearly, like if you're trying to read or if you're trying to see something distance, distant, this, it's very important that this light focus on the macula. It's called something else in, other, other, um, in, in some books and stuff where I was looking at. See that little triangle right there? That's the macula. There is a very, very high concentration of, of the uh, cone. Uh, you have photoreceptors photo, uh, inside of the eye. And in this, and of course, they're scattered throughout the whole eye, but they're highly, highly concentrated right here with cones. Uh, more rods up here. There's a few rods here, but they're, uh, the rods are more for night vision and peripheral vision. Both very important, okay? But the most important for, for us is being able to focus on something that you're looking at. You know, if, when you're looking and focusing on one thing, you know, it's very clear, but yet just, just a little bit outside of what you're looking at, if you use your peripheral vision, it's kind of uh, blurry. I've never noticed that before, but it is. It really is. Um, so that this is very important that this focus right now... Um, I, there has been studies done that uh, starting to read, when kids start to read too early, it can cause uh, the, the lens to misshape or not, not go right exactly the way it's supposed to be. There's studies. I don't know if they're true or not. That's not the purpose of this thing, of what I'm doing here. But another important thing is this is called the optic disc right here. This optic disc uh, serves a really good purpose. It it's where the optic nerve attaches. It's also where uh, 
damaged or dying cells that need to leave, they depart through here. Plus, blood vessels go and feed the eye here. Now, this optic disc, there are no photoreceptors there at all. So every one of us has a blind spot where you cannot see where that blind spot is. Okay? Uh, is there anything else here I want to talk about? I suppose not. Um, now, I'm going to give a little bit of application here. Let's come over here. Did I talk about the, I want to talk to you about the uh, optic disc. It's right here. That's where the optic disc was. And you notice the macula right here? This light, to see really focused, it needs to be, this lens and light needs to be focused right there. Very important. I'm talking about the eye because I want to talk about the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Um, we have to develop these eyes of faith, okay? And we're going to talk about that a little more at the end in particular. But um, there's a lot of things that oh, I want to talk to. The eye can be damaged. The physical eye can be damaged. There's a girl who is, uh, I was coaching 7th and 8th grade. She, could only, she only had one eye. One, the other eye was a glass eye because... When she was a toddler, she was carrying a pencil and she fell and it poked the eye right out. So she, so she had a disadvantage playing basketball because you need depth perception, and she did not have that. Also, when I was a kid, we moved to a new house when I was five, and my best friend always had a black patch over his eye. Uh, his brother decided he, they were going to play William Tell one time, and he had gotten a bow and arrow for, for his birthday, and he put an apple on his brother's eye on his head, and shot his eye out. Horrible, just horrible, you know. So, Brian, Aisha, no pencils. Don't give the, don't give David a bow and arrow for birthday. Don't do it. Gone. So, so anyway, application right here. You know, we need to be focused on Jesus. You know this this uh, cornea. I mean, this uh, lens right here, I'm pushing the wrong button. This lens right here, it needs to be focusing right on, the, on, the, uh, right on Jesus, okay? We need to be focused. We need to be focused on God, okay? And we also need night vision because sometimes, um, sometimes we're, in, uh, we're not just, um, things aren't always going good. Sometimes we're, in, we're in facing some terrible circumstances. Some of you are facing some terrible circumstances. Uh, circumstances, and you need night vision, night vision, so you can see when things are dark. All right, what I want to do now, I want us to open to First Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. You know, I don't think I'm going to turn pages with these things on. All right, First Samuel chapter one, verse. Um, we're going to look at one verse in in uh, twelve. One verse. In 12, then we're going to go to 13. Now, some of you will recognize this from a Bible study I did a week and a half ago. I had planned on doing this. I started feeling a little bit uncomfortable with it a couple days ago. Talked to Pastor Mike, and he seemed to think it was okay to do this. So we're doing a little bit of review. Okay, I want just, just to tell you, set this up a little bit. The kingdom of Israel decided they did not want to have a judge ruling over the kingdom anymore. They wanted to have a king. They didn't want God ruling through a judge anymore. They wanted a king so, so they could go out and be, have a chance and battle against their enemies. So they came to him and they said, look, we want a king. He took it to God and said, you know, they seem to want a king. He said, all right, that's what they want. We're going to give them to him. 
We're going to give him a cane. And uh, so this is his farewell speech as before he retires. He doesn't call it retirement, but he's basically not going to be doing what he's doing before. He's not going to rule the kingdom anymore. So he's going to retire. He's going to uh, step down. And uh, he's given this. And right in the middle of this here, verse 23, or towards the end of it, verse 23 of uh, uh, chapter 12, it says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. As a leader, as a former leader, he is going to continue to pray for the people of Israel. And he saw that it was a sin not to. Okay, so he's going to continue to do that. And then look, this is important also, the next phrase, and it says, I will teach you the way that is good and right. So he's not only going to pray, he's going to continue to teach. Now, the nation of Israel was, was basically ruled by the Philistines. They, uh, they were a hated enemy. They'd been battling with the Philistines for many, many years, probably many decades, maybe generations they'd been fighting with them. They had even set up outposts um, deep into the territory of Israel, deep into the country of Israel. They had set up outposts, military outposts. Well, one day, um, oh, let's, let me just start reading right here. Uh, verse 2, 13-2, chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back home. And then Jonathan did this. He attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba. And the Philistines heard about that. The Philistines were mad. They were angry. And they wanted retribution. They were coming with a mission. They were not going to let these people do this again. What developed was some absolutely, absolutely horrific circumstances. Go down to verse 5. It says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with three thousand chariots. Wow. That's like the tank of the day. Six thousand charioteers. Soldiers as numerous as the sand on the sea. It sounds, it sounds like in reading about this that that, that country had the ability put, to put between uh, 50,000 to 150,000 soldiers on the field. They were hopelessly outmatched. Just completely outmatched. Okay, let's go on, though. Uh, they were camped at Michmash, east of uh, Beth-Avon, when the men of Israel saw, they saw this. They looked out there and they said, wow, we're in trouble. What in the world are we going to do? And I, I believe in reading this, in reading this over, I've read this over and over again, I believe that what happened, well, let me, let me just read a little more here, first of all. Uh, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. You know, it's even worse than that. Not only are they outnumbered, they've got the modern-day tank. But let's go over to verse 19. Uh, the ancient-day tank, not the modern-day tank. <laughs> Said that backwards. Verse 19, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. Then verse 22 it says, so on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Not only were they hopelessly outnumbered, hopelessly outnumbered, 
They didn't even have weapons, really. They might have had an axe here and there. They might have had some sharp sticks or some rocks, but no sword. Sword was like, it was like the, the, that was like the, the standard weapon of the time. You could do nothing without a sword. You had to have a sword if you're in a battle or a spear. They had none. They had nothing of that. Sharp sticks and rocks. That's what they had. Occasionally an axe. I don't know. Sharp stick would be better than an axe, to tell you the truth. Axe, you'd have to swing, and I think I think you'd be done over with with a spear, with a spear or a sword, just a quick jab. If they make a one one inch penetration in those days, they were looking for a one inch one inch penetration into the body cavity, and they were dead. Not then, not immediately, but the infection was going to set in. They were dead with a one inch uh, penetration. So a sword or a sharp stick or a sword, uh, a spear, that's that was really what was needed there. Israel is in trouble. Their circumstances were horrific. And I believe that Saul, he was the king. I think that the men were just following what they saw their leader doing. I think he was terrified. He was absolutely terrified. And as a leader, people follow their leader. It's important that a leader not show fear. It's important that they don't have fear, but if they do have fear, man, don't show it to your people, okay? Anyway, uh, let's go on right here. Verse uh, verse 7, some of oh, you read that. Uh, Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilead, and Saul's men began to scatter. And he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And he offered up the sacrifice, the burnt offering. What he did was he took matters into his own hands, okay? He acted not from faith, but from fear. Now, let me tell you something. I, I have done that. And I, I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that everybody in this room has done this. Everybody online has, out of fear, took matters in their own hands. What would faith do? A faith would say, there's another way. You'd either wait on God or, in some cases, we'll see what, what his son, Jonathan, did. You know, there's such a contrast between Jonathan and Saul. You know, Saul is afraid. Jonathan shows no fear whatsoever. Uh, let's look at this. 14, chapter 14 now. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the, the young man bearing his armor, Come. He keeps saying, come to him. He says, come. We're going to go do this. Right, so notice this, okay? So he says, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. There's, a, there's two high points. The Philistine outpost is on one, and Saul is on this other side. Um, Jonathan is on this other side, and there's a deep ravine. So to get to them, they're going to have to go down like mountain climbers and climb back up the other side, okay? So the first thing he says, let's go look and see where they're at. So he goes to this one high point, and they can look over there and see them. Then we're going to move down here. Oh, one thing I forgot to read, um, verse uh, 15 of chapter 13. Samuel left Gilgal and went to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600 men. That's all they had. 600 men against between 50,000 and 150,000 uh, soldiers on the battlefield. And the Philistines are angry. They're, they're ticked. They're mad. 
They are not going to just say, okay, you guys better behave now. They're not, that's not what their intention, intention is. Okay, let's go on here. So 600 men. Then verse 4 it says, on each side of the pass, we already talked about that, let's move down. Verse 6, Jonathan said, 14.6, it says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, there it is again, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, listen to this, see this, okay? I would even underline this. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing, it says nothing, nothing, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. That's a man of faith right there. That is a man of faith. Where did he get that faith from? He certainly didn't get that from Saul. Where did it come from? Remember where we read that about Samuel in chapter 12? I think it was verse 23. Chapter 12, verse 23, it talked about how that he uh, was going to pray for him. He was going to teach them. I think he was regularly teaching Saul and Jonathan. But how come it stuck with Jonathan and Saul could not, could not have the faith. Why did that happen? I would, of course, these are rhetorical questions. I believe that what Saul did, what happened with Saul, was he had so much hate and jealousy and unforgiveness and bitterness towards David, or probably not just David, but other things, other, lots of other things. He just had so much of this in his heart, he could not, he could not, um, he could not have faith. Remember when I was talking about the pencil and the arrow that damaged these uh, children's eyes? Well, I can guarantee you that bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and anger damages your eyes of faith. I can guarantee you that that is going to erode and eat away the faith that you have. I would urge you to deal with, with all these things. Some things are going to take longer. Some are definitely going to take longer than just a day or two. Some of, the, some, some of you, things will, may take a long time to deal with that. But let's go on right here. Uh, perhaps, I'm going to read this again. Perhaps the Lord will act in your behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And this is, this, I think this is really cool. There's a lot of people that have one line in the Bible, okay? One line. And this is what, uh, what Jonathan's uh, armor bearer says. He says, do all that you have in, in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. You know, why does he have so much faith? Samuel wasn't teaching him. You know why he had so much faith? Because his leader had faith. His, fee, his leader had faith. And he said, he said, whether it's just you and me, buddy, or if I have to go by myself, we're going we're gonna to win this thing. You know, they had no, the eyes of flesh, they, there was no chance. They had no chance at all. Jonathan saw something different. He saw something very, very different. Through the eyes of faith, he saw victory around the corner. He didn't know how God was going to do it. He didn't have to rationalize. How is God going to do something like this? I see no hope. Eyes of flesh. I see no hope. This looks just awful. Oh, what was me? Eyes of faith says, we're going to go up there and we're going to beat this outpost and somehow or another, God's going to bring victory. All right, so 
And then this, the next really cool and amazing thing. Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here, wait there until we come to you, we will say, we will stay where we are and not go to them. But if they say, come to us, we're going to climb up to them because that will be the sign from God, the Lord, that he has given them into our hands. We've got them. If they just say the words, come up here, we've got them. We know it because God is going to do it. That's a sign from God. You know, I used to think that was um, presumptuous faith. But man, so many times I read in the Bible the presumptuous faith that some of these men of God had, they actually believed that, that I mean, they would set the terms even. They said, all right, if God will do this, then uh, I know that uh, that's a sign from God. They would set the terms of, the, of this. I thought, there's no way. This is presumptuous faith. But the more I started reading this stuff, the more I realized Maybe we should take a little bit. Pastor, I don't mind if you disagree with me. I don't at all because maybe I'm wrong on this, but I just can't help but think that maybe presumptuous faith, that there's something to it. If it's, if it's done or gone, if it's done or gone, I mean, I would definitely call it presumptuous faith if it's, Lord, give me a uh, million dollars. You know, That's the worst thing that God could do to you is give you a million dollars, it might be, you know? He might never see you again, you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, that may be the worst thing to happen. So, so anyway, if it's to honor God, yes, I believe it. So anyway, so both of them showed themselves, and they, uh, they told him, yes, come up here. We're going to teach you a lesson. Uh, that's uh, verse 12. Come up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Not into his hand, into the hands of Israel. In his mind, yes, we've got them now. So they climb down the cliff. They're over, all the Philistines are with, hey, look at them. They're coming down here. You think they're really going to come up here? Here they come. I think only one of them has a sword. The other one's got a sharp, pointy stick, you know? And they're just waiting for them. You know, they probably, in their arrogance, thought, yeah, there's 20 of us. We'll let them up here and we'll make sport of them. You know, what they should have done was when their hands get there, they should have been stopping their fingers, you know, when they tried to pull themselves up, but they let them come up there. God's grace. And uh, they made short work of them. They killed uh, around 20 men at that time. The very next verse, verse 15, look at the result of this. Jonathan acted in faith. He acted in faith. Then verse 15, then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp, and field, and those in the outposts, and the raiding parties. There were three raiding parties that were, had gone out at that time also. It was a panic sent by God. It was like an earthquake, as, if, as we read on. I don't want to get into the, the rest of this right here. But God brought a great victory. And you know those 600 men back there that were shaking and quaking? They saw what was going on. They saw the, the army of the Philistines in disarray fleeing, not in one direction, but in many directions. And uh, they told Saul, you know, they said, we're going to go and we're going to chase them down. And they chased them down. There was a great, great victory that day. You know what? One man was praying unceasingly, and one man had the courage to act upon his faith. One man, two, two men acting with courage, and one man praying. Think of what this church could do. Think of what, this, think of what God could do in your life if he gave you eyes of faith. Briefly, let's look at 
2 Kings chapter 6. Another different case of eyes of faith, okay? Chapter 6, uh, I'll give you a little background right here. Um, Elisha was the leading prophet of the day uh, for the, at the nation of Israel, and uh, Aram was an enemy, and uh, every, uh, he was trying to kill uh, the king of Israel and, uh, it was, and, and make a successful attack against the army, and Elisha was telling the king of Israel about it all along, and, and he's mad, and he, he finds out that Elisha is prophesying, so he sends an army after him. They arrive at night. Let's start at verse, um, verse 14. Okay, uh, verse 13. Go find out where he is, the king orders, so I can send men and capture him. This is chapter 6, verse, eight, uh, verse uh, 13. The report came back. He is in Dotham. Then he sent horses and chariots and strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. The servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And he said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open the eyes, his eyes, his servant's eyes, so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. These were angels. God sent a whole bunch of angels. When I was at Piedmont Bible College, we had a missionary. His name was Dr. Ketchum. And he was um, serving in Bangladesh as a medical doctor. They had a facility, a hospital facility set up. And uh, people came from all over that country, and they took care of the people. This was, uh, this was three... This is 40-some years ago now when he was talking. Anyway, he's telling the story how that uh, one day, uh, this, it was a Muslim country, 97% Muslim or something like that, and this one uh, guy was really angry at him, and he, sold, he told him he was going to come and kill everybody in the compound. Well, one, one evening, uh, these men showed up, Muslims, a large number of them showed up at the compound. They had weapons. I don't know what kind of weapons they had. I, I don't remember that, actually. It was a long time ago. They had all these weapons. And uh, they show up, and uh, Dr. Ketchum tells how, how he and the nurses and the, and the techs and, and there was a couple of pastors in there that would minister to the people as they came into the hospital. They prayed literally all night long. They, just, they, they were afraid that they were going to attack in the wee hours of the night and and try to kill them all. They had no weapons at all. Maybe a couple scalpels. That's all they had. So they're scared. They literally prayed all night. When they got, when they woke up in the morning, I mean, not woke up. When they, they got so they could see, they looked out, and there was nobody outside their compounds. Nobody there. So a few weeks later, this missionary, Dr. Ketchum, he was telling about how he went into town, and he goes into town, and uh, he sees that guy. And he says, hey, uh, you know, you really scared us. I mean, we thought for sure you were going to come in and kill us. And he said, oh, we were going to kill you. Well, why didn't you? Because of all those soldiers you had. And he blinked several times and says, soldiers? We didn't have any soldiers. Now remember, this is a Baptist Bible college, a Baptist preacher. They don't believe in stuff like this, all right? They just don't. Anyway, he shows up there, and he's... Uh, Saying, well, yeah, we, uh, we, yeah, we didn't, 
We weren't going to attack you. They, these guys were huge. I mean, they must have been seven or eight feet tall with these great big swords and these big bulging muscular arms. And there were so many of these soldiers. We said, forget it, we're done. And my men started, started leaving. Pretty soon I was the only one left. So I left too. Now don't tell me that this coming from a Baptist guy who don't, who don't even believe in this kind of thing, don't tell me that God doesn't perform miracles even today. He definitely does. One more thing I want to look at, then we're going to close. Turn over here to Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. Chapter 11 is the faith chapter. You All of you are very familiar with that. In my opinion, this 12 should not be here, okay? Because these next two verses, a few verses, really talk about faith also. Chapter 12, it starts off, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all these people in chapter 11, these great men of faith. He says, since, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance. All right, what do you throw off? Well, I, ran, I used to run in a lot of races when I was younger. The high school and college, I had a lot of races few after college, but not many. You know, you don't take your 120-pound anvil with you if you're going to run. Brian, Brian has one. I don't know whatever happened to that, Brian. Do you have that at your house? He, for his birthday one time, he wanted an anvil, and he picked one out. So we went to, uh, we, I guess he was going to play Roadrunner. I don't know. But anyway, he, uh, uh, we went to, the, we went to uh, Northern Tool and we picked out a nice, good size one, 120 pounds. I mean, I grabbed this thing, and man, this thing's heavy. And uh, put it in the shopping, put it in the shopping cart. The shop, the shopping cart was like, bling. I don't think they were expecting a tool that big and heavy into there. So anyway, you don't take your anvil with you if you're going to run a race. And you look down, and there's vines and ropes and chains around your ankles. You know, you, know, you can't run with carrying an anvil with ropes around you. Now, what is God talking about? He spells out the, the, the vines and the ropes as sin. But the anvil, man, it may not be sin, but it's holding you back. What is it that you're, you're hanging on to that is holding you back for that race for God? What are you holding on to? holding on to an anvil, a virtually useless chunk of steel. You know, that, that anvil weighed more than my wife did before we got married, when we got married. She weighed 109 pounds. So let's look at the next verse now. So we're going to throw off everything that hinders, and the anvil definitely hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, the vines, the chains, you know, the ropes. Get rid of all that stuff and run with perseverance to race. It's a distance race. You know, when we come up to, when I would come up to race, I mean, we're very focused. You know, everybody, well, not everybody. Most, of, most people are very focused. You know, the people that, the people that are wanting to win, you know, we're coming up, you know, we're, we've already warmed up, you know, and we just want to keep warming up. You've seen people do this on TV, I'm sure, you know. You know, they're kind of doing this right here a little bit, you know. And we're, we're waiting, and the guy with the gun goes over there, you know. And uh, for a distance race, you know, you, you don't start off with blocks. You know, you stand up, you start from a standing position because this, this is not a sprint, okay? And he just gives two commands. Get set, 
bam, and you're off. And when you're running, you, every time you go, you know, there's, there's usually stands. Most of the time, there were very few fans, but something like the regional or the conference, there was quite a few fans, a lot more, not as many as the football game. You don't go by waving, you know. You don't go by waving. You know, you only give them a few, you know, high, high kicks. You don't do that. You're not even concerned with who's watching, okay. But now the guys that aren't, the guys that are not going to win, the guys that are just, they're just running because, you know, they feel like running. They'll do that. They'll do that. They'll wave at the people in the stands. They'll do a little bit of high kick or whatever, whatever they're doing. You know, there's one guy, one guy. This guy was a very good at track. Uh, my, my sophomore and junior year, he was, he was close enough to the school record. We all thought he was going to get the school record. Uh, we, we were pretty sure. He was good, real good. His senior year, he decided he wanted to be a two-miler. And I was like, oh, no, I got to, uh, not only do I have to run against uh, Eric Toth, now I got to run against Mike, too? I don't want to say his name because you'll see why in a second. The people told me that this is what he did the first race. Okay, we all lined up like this. Get set. He lined up like this. Go. And he took off running like this. Uh, first time, I, I mean, I didn't know he'd done this until, until I was lapping him. And uh, there he is running the wrong way, wrong direction, facing the wrong direction. I was confused. What is he doing? What is he doing? And he, every race, every race he did that. Every race he ran in. And he could have been so good. I don't know if he got tired of the grind of trying to be competitive. I don't know. I, I asked him at the time, but I don't remember what he said. So what am I saying here? The whole thing we're talking about, eyes of faith. How do you have eyes of faith? It says in this next, very next verse, let us fix our eyes. You know those lenses inside that need to focus? You want to be looking straight ahead. You're not going to be waving at the crowd. You fix your eyes upon what? What do you fix your eyes on? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the originator and completer of our faith, the originator and the finisher, the maturer of your faith. Not only does, is, God, is Jesus the source of your faith, but he makes you grow in your faith by getting into his word, by uh, trusting him, by saying yes. If you're in the habit of saying no when God says to do something, pretty sure your faith is not going to grow. Get in the habit of saying yes, at least once in a while, preferably all the time. You know, peripheral vision is great. Sometimes I think some of us are watching God, watching Jesus with our peripheral vision. You know, there's a place for, for, for peripheral vision. Okay? But... We want to be focused. We want to be focused on Jesus, following Jesus. Man, so I, I, I will tell you so many times I have been focusing on the wrong things. I've been focusing, I don't know, maybe on the crowds or maybe on my job or, or maybe this or that, you know, instead of really focusing on Jesus. You know, as you can see, I think we all, all of us. This is the cream of the crop. The people that are here and some of the people online are the cream of the crop. And I guarantee you that every one of you will say, yes, I need to focus more on Jesus. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus on Jesus, and follow him. You know what um, prompted me to read this, to do this right here? There was a song that I 
couldn't get out of my mind. This is the second time that, that I've, God has put a song in my mind. I couldn't get rid of it. It goes like this. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up. Um, Jenny Rose. Glory. Yes, sing with me, please. With your love and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. What's it? What's it? What's it? <laughs> keep, keep going. Keep going. What's the next thing? My heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. You high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Open your love and mild as we see holy, holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. God is so holy. I love him so much. And I let him down all the time. I'm sure you feel the same way. But you know, God's grace is he is for us. He's just so for us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to have eyes of faith. And yes, we're still going to see things through our eyes of, of flesh. And we're, there's going to be times where we don't have, proceed forth in faith. But let's grow in that. Let's grow in that. If anybody wants to come forward for prayer, come on. Come on forward. We'd be glad to talk to you in prayer. Mike, Meredith, myself. Um, if you pick out somebody else, come on down. Come on down and pray. Dear Father in heaven, I just ask you to be with everybody in this church, Lord, and all the people online that are watching this, Lord. And Lord, give us all eyes of faith, Lord. We want to be more like Jonathan, Lord, and so many other of the heroes of the faith that had eyes of faith. Lord, none of us want to be like Saul, afraid of our circumstances and shaking in terror. Grow us in this area, dear God. In your holy name we pray. Amen.